Welcome to the Florida State Podcast of Entrepreneurship and Innovation, where we showcase student entrepreneurs to learn about the startups they are working on, check in with alumni to hear about the companies they are building, and learn from seasoned entrepreneurs who have built amazing companies. Hosted by Mark McNeese, a serial entrepreneur who has started for-profits, non-profits, social impact companies, and is currently entrepreneur-in-residence at the Jim Rand School of Entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Florida State Podcast of Entrepreneurship and Innovation. I'm Mark McNeese, your host, and today we have Ryan Kopinski of uh, Arlome, a product line of Added Layer, Added Layer um, who's joining us with today, a augmented reality startup that uh, uh, was born at, uh, out of FSU and has gotten some traction. So uh, thanks for coming in today, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So, awesome. so tell us a little bit um, about what you're building and just uh, what is it? What is AR? Let's start with that. What is AR? Sure. So <laughs> for the folks that don't know what AR is, the most common thing that people associate with AR is Pokemon Go. Um, it launched, I think, a year or two ago, and it allowed you to digitally overlay um, objects into your physical world. So if you've ever been to Ikea, for example, they have a great app where you can try out furniture, not in their store, but in your living room, by essentially overlaying something virtual in the physical. So in short, AR is really merging the digital and the physical. Um, and it's very cool technology. It is very cool technology. I've uh, been able to experience it mm -hmm. and I've uh, been reading a lot about it. I, I think about AR and it's almost like AR is actually delivering on what everybody thought VR, virtual reality, was going to be. Like, uh, you know, it's actually a very uh, great product that can be commercialized. It's very practical, right? You know, like the IKEA example, to be able to have your camera up and and in your living room and looking at, at couches in your house is super cool. Or the video on, on your website, I just, I, I love the being able to look at a home and actually put it on your lot and actually see what the view is going to be from a certain room. So uh, that's really cool. So tell me about the company. So yes, yeah, so really I started Added Layer while I was at FSU, but you know, doing a PhD, you know, it's, it's really hard to actually combine it with a business. So after I graduated, I decided to um, take it full time. Mm -hmm. It started off as a consulting company, so building apps for clients. Um, and since then, I graduated with my PhD in robotics in 2017, uh, okay. August. And uh, since then, the company has grown 400% every single year. Nice. Um, so revenue is doing really well, up to a point where I can now um, invest back into the company and develop product lines um, to also do that because a services-based business such as consulting is, is great and it makes good money um, but I think to really scale you know a global company I think you need to really have your own product lines and so I also feel much more fulfilled um, doing that type of work and so I launched um, Arlome which is a product line of added layer um, and so Arlome stands is an acronym. It's what an acronym, so it's Augmented Reality Location-Based Media and Experiences. Now, it's a mouthful, I know. Yeah. Um, but I think what Augmented Reality uniquely does that you know, maybe VR missed was it can answer two great questions when it comes to commerce or really marketing. Um, will it fit and does it look good? Mm -hmm. So in the term of like IKEA, for example, um, Will the couch fit? That's the right. most urgent question. And then would it look good in your environment? And what I decided to do was, okay, how can we apply that for architecture? Mm -hmm. Will it fit? And what does it look like? 
And so the app that I built, Arlo, allows you to essentially put down a full-size building, so a real-world-size building on a lot and look at it, make sure it looks good in an environment, make sure it really fits, um, especially, for example, in a place like Tallahassee where historical context is really important that you want to preserve that. And so, you know, what's happening, for example, at Cascades, you could literally just overlay the building there and see, okay, this meshes well with the environment, you know, our nature is preserved. Mm -hmm. And so being able to visualize that um, is really valuable, but also you can actually go walk inside of that building and see what the view would, would be like, um, you know, inside the building. Yeah, I loved that when I was watching your, your demo video yeah. on yeah. that. It was just really cool. I was like, how, how could an architect not use this product? Like, <laughs> yeah. if they're not using it, they're, they're so far behind. Yeah, so the, I'm actually working with a few architecture firms already to, it, it's not any revenue yet, but we're working to do some case studies because mm -hmm. this is very new. Um, yes, IKEA has it, Warby Parker has an app where you can overlay glasses, you know, but to do it at a scale of architecture, there's many moving components right. and the budgets are much larger. So coming up with a business model for it is take some time. Uh, but the most important part is when you design a building, there's many components inside of that design. The plumbing, the electricity, all the wiring. And you have to make sure that model that you're putting down is not overloaded, meaning you don't, you're not putting too much data in the virtual model. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is we use our phones or glasses to view the model. And those have limited resources. They have limited battery, the right. CPU is limited, the memory is limited. And so what I'm seeing currently with the architects I'm working with, I'm working with four architects already, um, two local and two actually in South America, um, is that their models are so dense and so detailed that the devices just can't handle it. And so it's a remarkable technology, but what the company now is really solving is to make it super easy for architects to just export their model and view it on site. And that, I think, is the value proposition that I, I am trying to kind of uh, figure out. Okay, and for our audience, a value proposition is essentially why, why would somebody, a customer, use a product or service that uh, the entrepreneur is offering over another product or service? So what really caught my attention why I invited you on the podcast was um, every example that I've seen of AR so far, I would say, you know, is, is very straightforward, uh, very practical applications like Ikea or the, you know, wearing the, what does mm -hmm. these glasses look on me? I'd say the infancy of, of AR and uh, what Arlom did, for, at least for me, I'm like, wow, this is the next step in this. Like, mm -hmm. this is actually going to a complex model, mm -hmm. you know, and not only what do I look like or what would it look like, but, but you know, what would this view look like or what, what, what if we, we moved the, the building a little bit like this and... Like I would imagine the complexities of designing that. I mean, as a quantum leap, are, 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 would you consider yourself on the forefront of this, or is this where it's at now? Oh no, it's so the the common yeah. So the current state of the art is is we're really on the bleeding edge, and okay. we're also noticing that. So we have to go back to the complexity just to kind of visualize how complex it actually is. Um, our mobile devices, so an iPad that one would use, mm -hmm. um, 
can really handle a model, and I'm going to try to be as simple as possible, of 200... Thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, so of, of, <laughs> of, of 200,000 data points. Okay. So we can only really render, because we have to render the building, mm -hmm. the virtual building, about 60 times every second. Right. Um, and so we can only really handle, really the max is 200,000 data points. Most models that architects give me on average have 6 million. Oh. So it's not, you know, just quickly changing right. something. It's really, you know, we have to change the way we model or at least export models where we can actually render it. But I see it as a tremendous shift in, in their workflow. So my goal from the start was always to not have a novelty where you just slap it on at the, at the end and just charge $1,000 for it, right. but to really fundamentally change the workflow of how architects and construction engineers work. Mm -hmm. um, and so what currently happens is, you know, they talk to the client, they build a proposal, they do the sketches, and there's like a back and forth, and they usually end up with a, like a model, a 3D model that is sometimes rendered as a video or like, you know, images that look really realistic, but then it's handed off as 2D, like an image or, mm -hmm. you know, a video that you just watch. Right. And I, I think where AR uniquely adds value is being able to almost feel it. When you're walking through the building, when I made that demo video, I, I blew my own mind because I was mm -hmm. like, oh my God, I'm walking no, through a felt, digital building. It. Yeah, it was great. And you feel it. The reason why that's important. And, and what's cool, I'm sorry, go sure. ahead. No, I mean like a, the digital building, but seeing it in the real world like is incredible. It, it is. And I think the reason why that's valuable and architects are willing to pay a lot of money for that is you know, they're still trying to sell something. They're mm -hmm. still trying to sell their firm and their design to, to the client or a stakeholder. And so what I've really built is an AR marketing tool. Um, and that's also why IKEA built their tool, is if you can see a couch in your living room. Not a couch, your couch. Your, your couch, couch, your yeah. next couch. It fits well, it looks yeah. beautiful. You're much more likely to press buy at mm -hmm. that time than Looking online and say, will it fit? Right. Uh, and what then you have will it actually look like. And then, you know, I know like pre uh, AR, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you can take a picture of your living room and then just put like a, you know, sure. this lady. It's like, okay, that's nice, but you still, the scale's wrong. You don't get to look at it from different angles. It's just different, right? Yeah, it's, it's not the same. And I think what AR has done, and you mentioned it, so AR is more utility practical focused. Mm -hmm. What AR has done is really shorten the, the purchase cycle um, for expensive type purchases like right. a couch. Yeah. Um, but I think it can also be applied to architecture, where if you have stakeholders, Absolutely. Um, you can shorten the cycle where they can really feel what a building will, will, you know, will be like. Um, so where I think the beauty would be for an architect is actually going out with the iPad or whatever, mm -hmm. or the tablet, and going onto the person's lot mm -hmm. and being able to show that, but that's not always possible. Is AR, would it be able to, would you be able to do basically a 3D camera of the lot and then overlay the, the AR, is that? Yeah, that's perfectly possible. So you can actually um, fly over a drone, mm -hmm. and there's software that you can use for that. Drone Deploy mm -hmm. actually has really good software. You can automate the drone to just fly, you know, okay, uh, map, it out. map it out, and you can essentially then overlay the model onto it. 
Um, but you don't actually have to go to that specific lot. You just have to go to a lot. So you can go to a parking lot and just view a building. Mm -hmm. Now, one other market that I'm experimenting with is model home builders, mm -hmm. where you know usually what they have to do is they have to build the model home for people to then buy, and then you know right. they build it. This is you don't have to. Yeah. Um, they can just look at it on their phone, walk through it, and then buy. Um, and so, and, yeah. And theoretically, furnish it. Yeah, so you, you can furnish it. So the, the actual demo video that I showed had like a bed in the cabin. It was a small cabin, right. um, but it had a bed and it had like a fire pit. Um, and so you can really, I, I'm working right now on a demo where it's a six-story office multi-use building mm -hmm. that has Herman Miller uh, furniture in there and it's mm. like fully decked out. Yeah. Um, but we're getting up to a point where the performance of our mobile devices are just not quite there yet. Oh, okay. And it's, it's well, mind-blowing. It's been a long time since uh, software developers had to think about hardware limitations. I mean, because hardware just came so quickly, and, and, and so that's, that's interesting that that's the bottleneck uh, coming, coming up. Yeah. Um, I mean, theoretically, you could buy a lot, and then you could pick your house, your model house that you want on it. On the iPad, pick your furniture, pick pick the materials. Do you want granite? Do you want all this? And, and like, take just about all the friction out of custom home building. Yeah, it's like The Sims, but in real world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that is super interesting. So, okay, so, um, uh, you graduated with your PhD uh, in what? It's robotics? mechanical engineering, mechanical but it's really robotics. Okay. Yeah, really robotics. And, and which you're not using that. Um, well, so the, a lot of the, th uh, the things that I've learned, so in robotics, mm -hmm. um, there's really two things that you do. You sense the environment, okay. and then you act on it. Okay. Augmented reality is you sense what's around you, you build a model of that, and then you put something in there. So it's oh. the same principle. Okay. And it's the same amount of data that you have to go through in the bottlenecks with the hardware. And so, yes, it's not a one-to-one -one, uh, application, but what I've learned, I apply every single day. All right. So you graduated what year again? 2017, okay. August. Yeah. Okay, August 2017. Yes, and uh, so, and then, uh, is, is this company based in Tallahassee? Yeah, so I'm you, still local to Tallahassee. Okay, are you from Tallahassee? No, I'm from Suriname, South America. Okay. Um, a Dutch... South Country. of Tallahassee. <laughs> yeah, it's a, lot, it's a long <laughs> distance. Um, yeah, so we speak Dutch. That's my native language. Really? Um, I've been here in the U.S. for, I think, over 12 years now. So it, English is really what I'm most comfortable with now. But yeah, so All I right. came here uh, for undergrad and then grad school. Okay, and you decided to stay in Tallahassee? So what Tallahassee has offered me is a test bed that is... So there's two things really going for Tallahassee that make it great. Um, we have a lot of education, you know, infrastructure, so mm -hmm. the talent here is great, but also living cost is, you know, really, really affordable. And so while I'm in Tallahassee, you know, I have my own funds. I don't have any investment dollars yet, outside at least. Um, my burn rate is relatively low, and so my runway here is like three times what it would be in New York or, right. you know, San Diego. Um, although I love those places. Probably ten times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I think Tallahassee offers a great... Um, launch pad for companies that are working on things that don't quite make revenue on day one. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, and the living cost is, is really good here. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned uh, outside investment. Are you looking for angels right now, or are you not ready for that? Um, I, you know, I see investment uh, dollars for two things, or investors really for two things, to buy you speed and mm -hmm. to buy you a network and knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, the, the speed would, would be great because I would be able to add more engineers, and the mm -hmm. network is important. Um, so, you know, if the right opportunity would present itself, I would definitely jump on that. Um, but right now, I'm self-funded. Um, the business is doing well enough where I can pour that in. Um, but it didn't start off that way. I mean, you know, graduating and then not having a job mm -hmm. when your friends are making, you know, half a million dollars at Google. Right. <laughs> like, that's terrifying and overwhelming. So I don't think it's for everyone. Um, but if, you know, if you feel like you want to go you know, serve a different wave. I think entrepreneurship, uh, it's an exciting ride, but very difficult one. How do your friends and family uh, uh, respond to your decision? Have they been supportive? Have they been like, you're crazy? So it's funny. My dad um, was, you know, was with one company, was the CEO of a company, I think for 10 to 15 years. So he's more of kind of like the old generation where you mm -hmm. stick with a company. Um, but then he changed his mind and became an entrepreneur and is now, you know, a consultant back home. He wrote the energy laws of the country. Oh, wow. So he's very entrepreneurial, but at a late stage. I always knew I, did, I, always knew I kind of wanted to do something different. It can still be within a company, um, but to kind of be a different asset, a different value. So even at my time at, um, during my PhD at FSU, I always wanted to add value in a unique way. And so, you know, I redid the website of our lab and make it, made it super modern and responsive. Uh, you know, I, I, there's always something. I want to add my special touch to things. And so I think entrepreneurship th does that well for me. Um, but yeah, so my family, they're very supportive. My wife is my biggest cheerleader. Um, and, you know, having a good support system is very important because, you know, I'm sure many other um, guests on the, on, on, on the show have told you that it's lonely mm -hmm. and it's hard um, and you know as an engineer I do think I have a tendency for overthinking a lot and so when you overthink stuff or when you're you know you worry or you doubt yourself it's really good to have anchors outside of yourself that say hey you know this is your success this is your progress up till now don't stop um, because entrepreneurship is hard. It's, it's extremely hard. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's worth it every day, but it, it is very difficult. Yeah, it, it is. So what, what are some of the biggest challenges you're facing in your company right now? So one of, so there's actually, you know, there's always challenges. And, and I think the biggest challenge is always what to focus on right now. Um, the market is really excited for AR but it's just not quite there yet. And the biggest hurdle right now, which is I started a YouTube channel to solve this hurdle, is there's very little documentation. So whatever I'm building at this moment is done for the first time in the world, mm -hmm. um, or maybe the second, but mm -hmm. there isn't a lot of documentation. If you want to build a website, there's like a gazillion Udemy courses or Udacity courses, or right. you can take a course at the university to learn that. Try learning augmented reality. Right. Um, you know, it, it, like, it, yes, there are courses, but it's very trivial. It's, you know, placing a chair in, in the space or, mm -hmm. you know, doing simple things. But when you're dealing with real-world applications, there is no prior experience or knowledge. And so 
having done a PhD at FSU, you know, with robotics and working on a state of the art, that kind of prepared me for pioneering things. Mm -hmm. um, and FSU does that every single day, and now I do that for my own business. Um, but that's the hard part. It, there is no documentation. Mm. How many people on your team right now? So right for the AR part, it's just myself. Okay. Um, for added layer, it really depends on the project. Um, mm -hmm. I have my network of people that I like to hire as contractors, mm -hmm. um, especially since now I'm transitioning from services more into product-based business. Mm -hmm. um, you know, having a full team at overhead would just be too much risk um, because I need to be very lean, you know, and, and be able to pivot, you know, right. transition the business from one idea to the, to the other, um, and so. You know, the most I've ever worked with is a team of five. Okay. Um, because in software, you actually don't need a lot of people. Uh -huh. You need a designer, you need um, a developer, you know, maybe you need a marketer. And you can do, you know, major scale projects with a very small team. How are you doing business development? So business development, th that's actually one of the biggest struggles for really any engineer or developer is marketing and business development. Mm -hmm. um, I've never had a business course. Um, okay. uh, seriously, I've never had it. So growing the business mm -hmm. was really kind of, you know, trying trying something, failing, 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 and then succeeding. Um, but there are a lot of resources for folks. You know, there's, you know, online courses now that teach you how to do financial modeling, you know, to actually do all of that. and. You know, if I were to redo what I did, so if I were to speak to myself five years ago, I would literally take an entrepreneurship class at FSU. Yeah. The funny thing is, back then when I joined FSU, the infrastructure in Tallahassee wasn't what it is right now. Well, so it's people, grown so fast. Entrepreneurs right now have have it so much better, and they should really take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. The JMI School of Entrepreneurship didn't exist. Right. It was nothing. Domi didn't exist. Right. Um, so the infrastructure, 10 years ago, being an entrepreneur meant you were jobless. Mm -hmm. Now it's something admirable. Right. And so, you know, and I'm not that old, but, you know, I'm getting close to being 30. And so um, the infrastructure right now that students have, incoming students, is phenomenal. That's what I, I keep on saying. So when we sold our family business and i moved here a little over 15 years ago to be an entrepreneur uh like it, it was just like people didn't understand it and 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 things like that has been so interesting to me really in the last five years mm -hmm. where entrepreneurship like being an entrepreneur is like being a rock star <laughs> like people are like just like, wow, this is actually a real thing. And, and it's been really fun for me being an entrepreneur who was able to be part of a college startup with the Jim Moran College mm -hmm. and like being part of the ideation process and using all the skills that I've learned in business school in the marketplace on how to build companies and build teams and things like that and put it in this. And then now being able to connect with entrepreneurs like yourself and like have these conversations and uh, but it's always interesting to me, and this is one of the things that I think there's been a lot of growth at FSU is cross-pollinization of mm -hmm. inter basically what they call interdis interdisciplinary, kind of like, you know, we just had, uh, uh, do you know who Floema is? Mm -hmm. So, do you know what citrus greening is? Yes, yes, okay, I so, do. Uh, FSU put together an iGEM team. I don't know if you're familiar with iGEM, but it's an international uh, competition. It's like international genetic engineering machine or something mm -hmm. like that, way above my 
but they've created the these biochemists have created this amazing solution they were on the podcast last week mm -hmm. uh, uh, for citrus greening these guys are absolutely brilliant have no way they have no way to do a go-to-market strategy like how do they monetize it sure. like they have they they have potentially solved a $2.9 billion <laughs> issue that Florida, Florida is happening, is, is, is experiencing. And it's like, well, how do, how do we get it to market? And that's where we were able, uh, uh, not we, Dr. Cesar Rodriguez, um, do you know him? Yes, he's, I, yeah, I, I He's amazing, was able to connect him with one of my students over at the Jim Moran College, who's going to come in as the CEO. and be the business guy like yeah. and get it get it ramped up and everything and it's just that kind of collaboration is just good for everybody uh it allows the engineers or the you know who, whatever you are to be who you are and not have to go on linkedin learning to learn how to do a financial projection right be, uh, or how to <laughs> create a good sure. market because that's not really a good use of your time sure uh, and actually my first entrepreneurial or entrepreneurial venture um, was Techno. So back then, it was technology or whatever, mm -hmm. um, and they renamed it to Techno. Like Techno, but because that was. everything has to be null. Sure, but that was the first <laughs> um, recognized student organization that was focused on kind of that hacking culture and, mm -hmm. and entrepreneurial like, culture. And there were other organizations like ACM that really focused on computer science, but bringing the hacking culture, uh, I mean, we had. I think every single major was part of our group, um, and now they are the ones that do hack FSU. Okay. And so that's something I started, you know, when I was like I think first year of PhD. Um, but I saw a need of bringing all these different minds together, um, and and having them just build cool stuff. Now the game is different. I mean, they do hack FSU every year. And I think it's like mm. 500 people from yeah, all over Florida huge. just come here. I mean, I had like five people. <laughs> So it, it's remarkable what happened in these past five years. And, you know, FSU, uh, JMI, you know, and, and even external um, organizations like Domi, um, they really changed the game. Yeah. Were, were you in Domi at all? Yeah, so I was one of their first companies. So back, at, back, back way back, um, I was working on a uh, Google Glass application called ShopX that allowed okay. you to essentially, by voice, create your shopping list. And when you were in-store, it would help you navigate the aisles because it knew the layout of the, the aisles. And so kind of like a GPS for mm -hmm. grocery shopping. And the inspiration for that was, I was in Publix before I founded that app, and I saw this pregnant lady pushing her cart with her stomach while holding a kid and her phone on oh. a shopping list. I'm like, this, there has to be a better <laughs> way, come on. And, um, you know, with Google Glass, it would be hands-free. So you could just, you would look at it and it would turn up um, and it would speak to you and say, you know, what you have to buy. And so that's when I started my augmented reality journey, which is, I think, now seven or eight years ago. Wow. And so I've been doing AR for a very long time. And people now think, oh, you know, now it's becoming a sexy thing. So everyone's trying to jump mm -hmm. in on yeah, it. Yeah. But it's, it's been around for a very long time, even before I started on it. I mean, 20, 30 years. But I think right now we are at a point where, you know, mobile phones are now so powerful and the software right now is also so capable that a lot more people can build AR experiences. 
And so what I'm now focused on with added layer is to be enable companies that may not have the teams like IKEA, like mm -hmm. you know, million dollar teams or billion dollar teams, and still be able to build AR experiences. Yeah, so I mean, you're, you're basically, this may not be the best example, but what Shopify did for e-commerce, uh, you're doing you know, in the AR space and, and allowing companies you know, like architects, which this is just a brilliant, you know, uh, innovation for architects or anybody who, you know, wants to visualize something, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, it, so, what's the future of AR? Like, where where is it going? Do you think? So, when AR, so I started really seriously doing my studies into AR um, two years ago in terms of like making it commercially viable, mm -hmm. and two three years ago. And I start seeing two patterns. So one school of thought is the novelty aspect. So people are just doing AR applications just because it's novel and hoping mm -hmm. that it sticks. So they throw something against the wall, hope, right. hoping it sticks. And I think novelty is great to get someone eyes on you, so to actually get leads, but to actually convert them into paying customers and even loyal you know, ambassadors for your brand, you really need utility. Mm -hmm. And so I am a big advocate of focus on utility, making sure it's actually useful and then sprinkle some novelty over it. And for example, I keep going back to IKEA, but we can go in a different route maybe and doing like, like an e-commerce for electronics. Mm -hmm. um, especially with, with Black Friday coming up, people tend to buy a lot of TVs uh, during the season. How do you know what TV size is right for your living room? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's such a simple idea, but literally you, I, I can build an app, and I, I've done so in the past, where you can just overlay the TV size onto your wall and you could see what size would fit best. Um, and two weeks after, Best Buy launches this feature where if you go on the app, or, and Amazon does that too, if you go on the app and see, see how it fits in my space, and they literally show that TV, even with like a video playing, <laughs> on your wall. And it sounds simple, but that is still advertising. Right. But the reason why it's so impactful, it's because it's useful. So most ads, like banners you know, on the highway or whatever, are either annoying or they're entertaining. Mm -hmm. I think when something becomes useful, advertising changes, it, it just changes the game because now you're actually value adding, right, as opposed to just being in someone's face. And so that's why also that, you know, video right now is the thing for marketing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, there's attention span issues, but it has shown that AR can keep someone's attention consistently for two minutes. Yeah, because you're engaged. For video, it's like 20 seconds, really. And un unless you have like a hook and to keep people you know, engaged, you lose them. And so people actually want to engage with AR content, even though it may be advertising content. And so I think the utility aspect of AR, I haven't seen that. And also the engagement and the emotional you know, interaction that you have, I haven't seen that with any medium in terms of the marketing mm -hmm. side of things. I haven't seen it with any other medium, as opposed to just with AR. Um, and VR also missed the boat on that, I think. Yeah, I, I think so. With, with VR, I just, and I think it's the same problem that Google Glass had, mm -hmm. is people don't want to have auspicious things on their face, right? And where VR, I think, uh, missed it is, is it isolates you yeah. from everything. And, you know, in Google, just cultural, Google Glass just culturally just wouldn't accept it, right? And uh, 
where I just, I think AR is the right product fit is because everybody's used to everybody holding their phones up, sure. right? So that's very natural. It's culturally acceptable. Mm -hmm. It's actually weird if you see somebody without their phone <laughs> out, or at least yeah. in FSU, they're all like walking <laughs> yeah. around. Yeah. So it, like if somebody was walking around with VR goggles or, or, or Google Glass, it would be kind of like culturally like, eh, you know, sure. uh, that, that's bizarre. Where I was one of those bizarre people. I used to wear Google Glass. Yeah, well, no, I have years. friends. I have friends. I mean, I wanted Google Glass. I didn't get in the, on the whatever the invite beta sure. kind of thing, but I had friends who who did, and they were walking around. And I remember being in you know like coffee shops with them, and them wearing it, and people would freak out like, "Are you filming me?" And like they would like confront him, and he find and he's an early adopter on stuff, and like eventually he's like put them away, and. Uh, yeah, I still am waiting for the day where, you know, it's in your contact lens, right? So that is happening. But there's really two types of AR that, that I see. Um, there's HUD-based, so mm -hmm. glasses-based, and there's phone-based. The reason why, I mean, yes, the glasses are awkward, but I can guarantee you Apple will launch glasses within the next two years, mm -hmm. maybe three years. It depends on, on how the hardware is maturing. Um, the glasses have a unique value proposition, but the reason why phone AR took off is because manufacturers can't build the glasses and then everyone buys them, but there's no apps for it. And so what companies did, I think that's at least my opinion, is what Apple and Google and all those other companies did. They said, hey, let's start building out an app store for AR, put them on phones with phone cameras in preparation for glasses. Because when you have AR, people are you know, holding their phone and stuff, being you know, on camera, like five years ago, having people do this in public would be a bit weird. Right. Now you see everyone because they're catching Pokemon or whatever. Right. Yeah. And so it's much more common. So when you translate that to this, it's not as bad. So I think Google was premature. Mm -hmm. um, they also launched it for the wrong, I think, market. It should have been enterprise from the beginning and they made it consumer. And consumer, you know, people didn't really know how to use it, so they started to misuse it. And you had like videos going viral right. where it just didn't do anything good for the marketing. But in enterprise, Google Glass is still being used, and it's being used really well. Technicians that need remote support and do maintenance, and you know, manufacturing floors that have like a bunch of machines that need to see, you know, what is active and what's going on with machines. And so there's a very good use case for glasses that are in controlled environments where people don't get creeped out by it. Yeah. Well, I can tell you as a public speaker, um, I, I would love, 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 because I, I, I teach, I speak with a tablet. I don't like podiums. I don't like notes. And, <laughs> sure. and I like having a tablet. And if I can be freed from the tablet and actually see my notes, like even, you know, with, with the glasses or, or best case scenario, contacts, right? Uh, like, for me personally, that would be an amazing application. Well, we're at a university, so we have to be careful with, with seeing notes on glasses because that's <laughs> a problem when test-taking. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yes, that application, yeah, it, it'll make such a big difference. For anyone really wanting to you know, present or even follow a specific like, set of steps, like a technician, you know, cooks that learn how to cook, mm -hmm. like all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, you think, it, yeah, I mean, just there's so many... Uh, application, but I mean technology. Like I mean, especially education has to respond to technology. I remember when I was a kid, uh, and you probably never, heard, but there was a calculator watch. Yeah. 
that, that came out. I, a Casio, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, 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 I got I, one of those, and they made me take it off. Of I can wear it to school. Of course. Like, can you imagine, like, if somebody walked into FSU with a calculator watch? One, probably, like, people are like, what's that? And, like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> but, but, like, nobody's going to tell you to take your calculator watch off. I mean, or, or you know, not bring your phone to school. I mean, there's, there's, there, there's a, I mean, just, Technology has just integrated in our in our life. There's an article out actually right now that uh, this tech blogger tried to uh, break up with Google and uh, had a app or something that would block everything Google. If Google like if anybody on their website had like Google Analytics on it, uh, she couldn't see it or anything. She, she couldn't do it. Like, I mean, there was like the internet became, you know, and technology became useless. Like Google is like so intertwined in our lives and we like in so many ways that we don't even know, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. So right now you can always fight technology and maybe we can be more mindful as to, you know, how, how we use technology, but it's so integrated into our lives. Um, and AR is maybe still a novelty for, for most people. For me, I already see it as part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's why I exclusively now develop for AR. I do some other apps on the side for clients, but AR is now my main business focus. Um, and I think, you know, you're asking the future of AR. I think commerce is the first one to actually benefit tremendously. Yeah, it's um, huge. But, but even other industries, like for example, movie trailers, right? Mm-hmm. Right now, if we have like a movie previews, you see it at a theater. But say, for example, you have this Star Wars movie and you can literally see a ship flying over the stadium mm-hmm. as a movie trailer. I mean, like yeah. that is just next level. Yeah, that's and, super cool. Yeah, and so there are many practical and, and even entertaining applications of AR that will change the game, especially for commerce and marketing. Um, so, yeah. Wow. So, uh, during your time at FSU, did you only do your PhD at FSU? Yeah, so I went from undergrad, I went to FAMU, and then um, I came to FSU for my grad school. All right. Yeah. Uh, so you already talked about how your program helped you with the AR. I mean, sure. uh, um, do you like? Do you think like? FSU helped prepare you for what you're doing now, and was there any faculty or staff like that stood out that like really encouraged you on your journey? Yeah, of course. I mean, so I, I think education is changing as a model, mm-hmm. but I think one of the most valuable things that every university still offers is almost a risk-free ticket to experiment and meet a bunch of different people. And so, you know, being on a campus with, what is the number of students now? What's 50,000 or something, 60,000? I don't know. A lot. Um, you know, to be, have all those different minds um, come together mm-hmm. uh, was a tremendous opportunity. I mean, I met so many cool people. You know, some people that I know at Apple right now, Google, all the big companies are actual techno members. Um, so that was a great um, opportunity. And, and even, you know, the infrastructure when I first joined, until I graduated, that changed like tremendously. So now the innovate, I think it's called the Innovation Lab. Mm-hmm. So Ken Baldoff, I yeah. mean, he's a champion uh, of that innovation yeah. mindset and yeah. hacker mindset. You know, and when I first met him, he was, I think, the director of PIC, and there wasn't, there was no space where people could, could go and three D print something awesome or right. you know spend time in VR. And now they have like a full lab doing that. The JMI school mm-hmm. that wasn't existing there. So Randy and Wendy, um, you know, it was. 
I think a very small room in the business school. Now it's a you know yeah. its own dedicated building. Yeah, no, it's it's beautiful. So we have a lot of champions at FSU that believe in entrepreneurship and especially also the hacker culture before they actually saw the ROI. And I think that's what's valuable um, to kind of see ahead without actually having like the actual fruits of it yet. And now, I mean, we, we see the result where students now that come in have way better opportunities than, than, than I had. Yeah, I but I'm thankful at, for that. I, I look at the opportunities that the students have now, and I think of myself as an entrepreneur enough. I had those, you know, the resources that they have, you know, like iHub, you know, uh, Innovation Hub that yeah, Innovation Ken, Hub. Ken's doing, or, um, you know, just the Jim Moran building downtown with, you know, the Jim Moran College in there with the incubator, and then, the, you know, just the college uh, it's, itself with just, uh, the what we would call like the, the entrepreneurs and residents or the pracademics, you know, mm -hmm. that, that we got these practitioners who are also academics teaching. And then President Thrasher's vision to hire uh, entrepreneur and residents for every college, you know, like, you know, Dr. Cesar Rodriguez and, and in, in the med school and just this, you know, uh, collaboration coming together. I think it's truly special and I think amazing things uh, over the next few years when, especially when students, when they're thinking, where do I want to go? And if they want to be an entrepreneur or, or, or want to build something and see it launch into a company, uh, in my mind, you know, in, in the next few years, FSU may be like the obvious choice. <laughs> Let's hope that, that's, I mean, that would be awesome. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I mean, you know, that, uh, I mean, there's great schools out there and everything, but I think something truly is special, like starting to come together here. I think you bring up a good point. So, you know, when you think of the, the old school entrepreneurship, you know, entrepreneurship school, you, you maybe have like Stanford in your mind. Mm -hmm. but the problem with Stanford is it's so expensive to live there. Yeah. And so when you have world-class education in Tallahassee with the combined living cost of, you know, of Tallahassee, I mean, yeah, and it's it not, makes sense. And it's not only FSU, too. I mean, the city of Tallahassee has embraced entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, then you have, you know, things like, you know, uh, Domi Station and then the co-working spaces. And just the entrepreneurial ecosystem is just really finally getting its stride here. And it, it's really exciting. So... Well, so what? What's next? What? What? What's the next year, two years, whatever look like for for you? Sure. So the next six months for me are—I'll um, just say six months. And okay, that's fine. Um, so short term, what I'm working on right now is trying to figure out with some architects mm -hmm. on how we can make it work for them, where it's not a burden to create these 3D models that are, you know, compliant for AR. Um, so hashing that out. Um, potentially speaking to investors to make sure, okay, how can we scale this quickly so mm -hmm. we can roll out a solution? Because the goal is to build a you know, major company or product at least mm -hmm. uh, on this. Um, and then the other part of this is also being able to educate um, a new generation of developers and creators for AR. So right now, I mean, yeah, there are some courses, but when you're trying to do state-of-the-art, there's nothing really guiding you. So I am working on a YouTube channel um, for myself that kind of teaches state of the art. So if you want to learn something super easy in AR, I mean, there's a, a gazillion courses you can find. But if you want to learn the best of the best or really things that haven't been done before, I'm trying to educate 
uh, you know, a new generation of developers. Because the issue that I'm finding is, is you know, yes, say for example, I had a million dollar investment or two million dollar mm -hmm. investment. Who do I hire to actually right. build it out? There are very, very few people that can do what is needed to really push the envelope. And so that's really the two-sided um, focus right now is being able to build out Arlo um, and being able to build out a you know, state-of-the-art workforce to be able to build these applications. And then long-term, um, added layers really focused on building commerce tools and really marketing tools um, for these major brands. So, you know, and yes, Amazon has their own lab where they mm -hmm. can build AR stuff. But if you're a, for example, furniture company that really wants to have, you know, an AR app, but just don't quite have the, 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 even the skill or know how to build something like IKEA Place, then you can come to me and I'll build it for you. That's fantastic. So, hey, thank you so much for coming in and, and taking the time. Just appreciate it. It's fascinating conversation and um, I look forward to just watching your company grow and, and you know, any way that we at FSU or me can help you, uh, let me know. Thank you so much for All having right. me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining the Florida State Podcast of Entrepreneurship and Innovation. If you would like to be notified of new episodes, please subscribe via your favorite player. Also, if you like the podcast, please take the time to share it on social media, give it a five-star rating, and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever else you enjoy your podcasts. This will help us get the word out to other entrepreneurs that the FSU Entrepreneurship Podcast has been launched.